Welcome to the Gather Houston podcast. We are a Christian community practicing the way of Jesus in all parts of life and for the good of all people. Thank you for joining us today. So all throughout 2024, I've now said it uh, five weeks in a row, we'll say it again. We're talking about reimagining, rebuilding, kind of reclaiming our faith together so that we together can have a faith and a spirituality that's worth keeping. That in spite of all the things that we have experienced, and a lot of us have experienced really hard things, I believe that this faith of ours, that all of this is worth keeping, and that it can be a life-giving and beautiful thing for all of life. And so today we're finishing up a conversation on our confession of faith, what we just said together. And I, I really, I love these ideas, and individually they aren't, um, you know, just wildly unique you know, being compassionate, everyone's like, yeah, good idea. But together, they, when you put them all together, it is a lot of what makes our community really unique and a unique place to be. And every time we get to the end of one of these kind of teaching blocks, like we're going to finish today this conversation on the Confession of Faith, when we get to the end of these, and I'm finishing my sermon at the end of one of these little sections, I always feel very grateful for you. And so I just want to tell you thank you again, uh, like I do, like, eight times a year, just thank you for letting me be myself, because some of these ideas wouldn't be allowed everywhere, uh, and I might would have to work really hard to, um, I would do a lot of PR around them. You know, I would kind of say them, but I would massage them in such a way that no one would send me mean emails kind of thing. But here I get to be totally myself, and it is such a gift to me to be able to be myself. And so thank you for letting me present these ideas that I am really passionate about. So thank you. So today we're going to finish this conversation on our confession of faith uh, by talking about having a compassionate faith. We say it every week, we want a faith filled with compassion, where our beliefs are never more important than the person right in front of us. And there's a, there's a lot of good words that we could sub in for compassion. Like sometimes people say, I don't know if compassion is the right word. And I'm like, yeah, maybe you're right, but I wrote it. So, um, but I'm just kidding, I don't say that. Uh, the reason we chose compassion is because I had a lot of coffee this morning. We had a meeting right before church, and so I'm already kind of like, ramped up a little bit more. Okay, so uh, there's a lot of good words that we could use, but the reason we chose compassion is because it's the word that gets used over and over again to describe Jesus in the gospel. So uh, like in Matthew 9, it says, when he, Jesus, saw the crowds, Jesus had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Or in Matthew 14, it says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Or in Matthew 15, it says, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry. Right? You get the, the point, right? Jesus looks and he sees the crowds of people, the people right in front of them, and the way that the Gospels describe it is that Jesus has compassion on them. Right? Compassion is the Jesus way, and a compassionate faith means that the people in front of you are the most important thing. That no person is a problem that needs to be solved. That no person is an issue that needs to be debated. That every person is an image bearer. A compassionate faith means that people don't need to be convinced of an agenda or persuaded of anything or quietly manipulated. That people are just meant to be seen, loved, cared for. It's kind of a a people-first kind of faith. It's people over principles. And I think in general, most of us like this idea, but a lot of us have been trained, maybe even the right word would be indoctrinated, 
to put our beliefs above everything else, right? That, that having the right beliefs and going to the church with the right beliefs is the most important thing. And we feel really good about those right beliefs. And we put those principles up on a pedestal at the top of the mountain. And we end up ultimately really worshiping our beliefs instead of the God of our beliefs. We're prone to worship our doctrine, our systems, our principles. But any time a belief is more important than a person, then our ideology has become idolatry. Right? Ideology becomes idolatry when we put those systems, those principles, those customs, those rules in front of people. Right? When we start to worship our ideas instead of worshiping God. And the Gospels have a lot to say about this. Right? Jesus comes and lives, we've talked about this a lot lately, that Jesus comes and lives and teaches in a context with a ton of religious principles and rules and customs. Way more than you grew up with in your fundamentalist Baptist church, I promise. The custom and the principle were the most important thing in the religious context that Jesus shows up in. The, the rules mattered more than almost anything else. But there's this clear narrative in the Gospels that Jesus is overstepping all of those principles and those rules. He, he sidesteps them. He works around them. Sometimes he flat out says, I don't really care that much about that rule or principle because there are people in front of him that need compassion and care. And for Jesus, those people are more important than the principle. Like we see it with the story, famously, the woman at the well, that religious custom says that Jesus, a Jewish man, shouldn't be speaking to this woman at all, shouldn't be even exchanging words, but he counts her, a person, as more important than the principle. Or one of the most popular, famous stories in the Bible, the story of the prodigal son, the religious custom said that the father could have stoned his son when he came back. But Jesus tells a story where that person, this younger son, is more important than the principal, and the father doesn't stone him. The father throws his arms around him and embraces him. Or when Jesus calls Zacchaeus down from the tree, that tax collector that everybody knows the song about, and Jesus eats with him, the sinner. This was a person that was not to be bothered with. Zacchaeus was a distraction. But Jesus counts this person as more important than any religious principle. And there, there's a great story in Matthew 12 where Jesus is openly defying the Sabbath laws, which I know none of you are like, ooh, Sabbath laws. But then it was a big deal. Uh, like no one gasped when I said that. So that's how I know. Uh, but it was a really big deal because Jesus was a Jewish rabbi and he's supposed to be keeping all of the rules and especially the rules and the laws around the Sabbath. But Jesus is openly defying these Sabbath rules. Right? First, you know, it, it says do not work on the Sabbath and keep it holy. So just for your context. But, but first, Jesus gets kind of called out by these Pharisees, by the religious elite, because uh, Jesus allows his disciples to go and pick grain from a field uh, so that they can eat. That's work. They picked grain from the field. But they were hungry, and Jesus was like, this seems like a good enough reason to go work. You're hungry. Let's do it. And then these religious elite, these Pharisees, they're mad that Jesus is letting his disciples work. And then it says this in Matthew chapter 12. Going on from that place, Jesus went into their synagogue. So these uh, religious elite, these Pharisees, they're already mad at Jesus. They leave this one situation and Jesus shows up to their synagogue, which is a little, we'll call it confrontational to start from Jesus. And a man with a shriveled hand was there looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. The Pharisees ask him. So the Pharisees challenge Jesus back. There's a little narrative happening here. 
the Pharisees asked Jesus, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Right? These religious elite, they're trying to trap Jesus. There's a little back and forth happening. And then the religious elite, they, they almost, they use a man. Right? They, they kind of prop him up. Say, Jesus, what about this guy? They flaunt this man in front of Jesus. And they can't imagine that Jesus would heal him on the Sabbath, in the synagogue, in front of everyone. But Jesus won't allow a religious principle that's very, very clearly stated to be more important than the person right in front of us. And then just as a note, it says that the Pharisees uh, went out and plotted how to kill Jesus. Which this isn't my whole point today, but just hear that a compassionate faith is threatening to religious power systems. It always has been, all the way back then. Because compassion bypasses the systems of power in our world. Compassion doesn't ask for permission from the people who hold power in order to do good. Right? Compassion bypasses those, power, th those powers and then honors and serves and loves and cares for the person right in front of you. Right? Compassion can't be institutionalized or harnessed for a person's platform, but systems of religious power and political power are always threatened by justice and compassion. But none of that matters to Jesus because Jesus will not allow a rule, a custom, a belief, a principle to be more important than the person right in front of them. A compassionate faith is the Jesus way. Right? There's no belief, no custom, no rule that's more important than the person you are looking at. It's people over principles. And um, I have not always embodied my faith in this way. This is not how I have always been. Uh, before I was like a rebellious pastor and occasional heretic. Uh, sorry, my notes say alleged heretic, sorry. <laughs> Probably occasional heretic too. Alleged heretic. Uh, my eyes checked there. A little slip. Oops. Before I was an alleged heretic, I was a good Sunday school attendee like you, a vacation Bible school graduate, many years running. Uh, I was a you know, graduate theology student. I was the uh, presidential scholar at my Baptist University. I know, if you're impressed. I paid a lot of money to learn more about theological ideas and beliefs. Like, I'm, I'm into the customs and the principles. I like them. I'm into the rules. I'm into the religious part of all of this. I am. But a few years ago, there was one thing that kind of flipped this idea for me. One thing that challenged those principles, one thing that challenged those beliefs as being on that pedestal, that mountain, that thing that was the most important to me. About, I don't know, five, seven, eight years ago, uh, I became friends with LGBTQ Christians who loved me and sat with me and told me their stories and encouraged me to look up some data about what it was like to be an LGBTQ person and grow up religious. And um, just a little bit of a content warning. 
uh, I'm going to share some data around suicide rates for LGBTQ youth. So if you need to take a second, if you want to walk out for three minutes, or if for you, if the best thing for you to do is to scroll your phone for three minutes, that's totally fine if you need to check out. Uh, but I, I used to worship my good ideas, my right beliefs. But then I met some people who challenged them. And um, maybe you've seen some of this um, data. This is all data from the Trevor Project. Maybe you know some of it, that LGBTQ youth are more than four times as likely to attempt suicide than their peers. And the Trevor Project estimates that more than 1.8 million LGBTQ youth, that's uh, kids, 13 to 24, seriously consider suicide every year in the US. And the rate, this is hard for me to read, the rate of suicide attempts goes up for kids who hear their parents use religion as a way to speak negatively about LGBTQ folks. But research also consistently finds that LGBTQ young people report lower rates of attempting suicide if they have one affirming person in their life, just one. That having one accepting adult can re reduce the risk of a suicide attempt among LGBTQ youth by about 40%. Just one person. And so before I was willing to like rethink Romans chapter one or disagree with my you know, graduate school professors or disagree with my family, I met real people who I looked in the eye and I read real data about those real people. And those real people are so much more important than my theology. And there are millions of kids, these are kids, 13 to 24 year olds, these are kids. There are millions of kids that need somebody to tell them that they are loved and accepted. And I just, I will not allow my beliefs, no matter how right or good I think they are, to be more valuable than those human beings, than those kids. And I will not stand on a stage or on a rug <laughs> and represent a faith that cares more about good ideas than kids. I will not advocate for the right reading of an ancient text more often than I advocate for the care of human beings who need love and acceptance. And for the record, this is not a story um, about how uh, great I am for you know, changing my mind and becoming inclusive and more caring. Uh, this is a story about how even when I was participating in and leading in spaces and theological places that were actively harming people, those same folks that we were actively harming were willing to sit with me and look me in the eye and care for me. The heroes in my story are the LGBTQ Christians who let me in the room and told me their story even when I did not deserve it. They were practicing the Jesus way, embodying a compassionate faith. Barbara Brown Taylor famously says, the only clear line I draw these days is this, when my religion tries to come between me and my neighbor, I will choose my neighbor. Jesus never commanded me to love my religion. We wanna practice this kind of faith where every image bearer is more important than any good idea, any ideology, any belief, any custom, any principle, that when you look someone in the eye, 
You're not evaluating if they're right, that you're seeing them as a full human being, loved and cared for. Right? And I want, to, I want us to embody this kind of compassionate faith and thank God we already are. That when we look at each other, we see value. And so for you, um, are you a person practicing a compassionate faith? Is this a value for you? Maybe consider whether the faith you were given, whatever faith was passed down to you, if that faith you were given was prioritizing having right answers, right beliefs, the right custom and principle, more than loving the person around you. And just as a note, I, I got kind of convinced at a really young age that telling someone else that they're wrong was a version of loving them. Did you guys get taught this? You say, oh, we're supposed to love people. And we go, I don't know if telling them that they're um, destined to hell forever is very loving. Like, no, that's the most loving thing. And I was like, okay, most loving thing. Here I go. That's not it. That if we're going to put other people before us, that's a Christian value, to count others' needs as more important than your own. If you're going to love your neighbor as yourself, then that means asking them what love looks like, not deciding on their behalf. And so maybe just consider whether the faith you were given prioritized right belief, having the right answers, the right customs, the right principles, or loving and caring for the people that you're actually encountering and loving them on, on their terms. And then what would a compassionate faith look like for you? If you're saying, no, this is a value, this is important to me, what would it look like to practice that? And my... My advice almost always is to start with the people closest to you. You know, it's easy um, to think about these ideas as f uh, with people that are far away, that we don't really know. It's like nameless, faceless groups of people. And we go, oh yeah, that people that I never have to encounter, they're so much more important to me than my right beliefs. But maybe think about the people in your house, like the people you live with. Are you more concerned with how your partner is doing or with like being right all the time and that, that's really it when you're with your kids your partners your roommates the, the people that you work with do you need to be right more than you need to be caring and loving because a compassionate faith means embodying this in all parts of your life that you say no no, no this is this is how I'm gonna be with my kids this is how I'm gonna be with my partner this is how I'm going to be with my coworkers, that I don't have to be right. And in fact, I, I'm going to admit that I'm probably not that right. And so I'm going to uh, actively pursue loving them more than proving my own rightness. Or, or the people, you know, in your network, the people on your timeline. That's not a word anymore. The feed. Sorry. I'm so old. Uh, it's, a, it's an election year. Sorry about that, but it is. And uh, I know you have beliefs about politics and social issues, and uh, I likely agree with you, but there are a bunch of people that don't. And, um, and they're still people. And honestly, they're afraid, and so are we. But they're still people, and they, you really disagree with them. I believe you. But they should be seen and honored and loved and cared for. And you have 
a real good opportunity for about nine months to see how that goes. I, I know it's hard, but you're about to have just a golden opportunity to say there's a person right in front of me that I really disagree with and I'm gonna choose to see them, I'm gonna choose to value them, I'm gonna choose to care for them and love them because my ideas, my ideology is not more important than this person right in front of me. Right? This is the kind of faith we're trying to embody where our beliefs are never more important than the person right in front of us. So we're at the end of this conversation about the faith we're seeking Right, an expansive faith, a Jesus-centered faith, a faith of minimalism and curiosity and compassion. And these are big, important ideas. They matter. They matter to me a lot. But as we close this conversation, I want you to remember, I want you to kind of hold on to today that your journey towards a more compassionate faith and a, and a more curious faith and expansive faith and Jesus-centered faith, that your journey towards transformation and all of that, that your journey towards transformation starts with self-acceptance, not self-improvement. That don't start today and leave and say, you know what, I've gotten the, everybody gave me the wrong kind of faith and now I'm going to work as hard as I can to be totally right. I'm going to get on this hamster wheel and when I mess up, I'm going to feel really bad about myself and I'm just going to keep going and keep going and keep going. It's the same uh, religious cycle of guilt and shame we were all given. That self-improvement will not get you to this transformation. It starts with self-acceptance. That you, as an individual, right where you're sitting, this person that I'm looking at today, the people that are in front of me, you are more important than any idea. You are more important than you trying to be compassionate. Who you are, you are more important than your own beliefs. You are more important than your own inability to embody those all the time. You are valuable. You are cared for. You are loved and you are not a problem that needs to be solved. You are not a project for anyone, not even yourself. You are valued and cared for. No one, you are not a problem to be solved or an issue to be debated, ever. Not for me, definitely not for our church, and I promise you not for God. You are beloved, your lived experience is holy. And if we dehumanize ourselves, of course we'll continue to objectify and dehumanize one another. So today, my hope for you is that you would accept your own acceptance and start by offering yourself some compassion. Because our beliefs are never more important than any person, and that includes ourselves. And so gather, this is my prayer for us today. May you embody this compassionate way of Jesus, remembering that every person you encounter is worthy of love and care. You were never commanded to love your religion. So love your neighbor and love yourself. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in Gather, check out our website at gatherhouston.org or visit us on Sunday at 10 a.m.